<laughs> Maybe I'm just perpetually annoyed. Yeah, you actually... <laughs> You're so irked all the time. Like, what's yeah, going on? That's yeah. a, um, hi, welcome to Security Hot Takes. I'm professionally annoyed. <laughs> and the, I'm professionally annoyed, friend. <laughs> so, did you ever see the Monty Python's Meaning of Life? Yes, but so long so so there's this scene where there's this like corporate boardroom and they're reading out what the meaning of life is and it says we it, we've it, it comes out of two things one people aren't wearing enough hats <laughs> and then the second thing is that like they come up with this great metaphysical existential reason that unfortunately um while we may know this or discover it we're often distracted by the mundane or irrelevant and this right. executive leans forward and goes what was that about hats <laughs> however this is rarely achieved owing to man's unique ability to be distracted from spiritual matters by everyday trivia. What was that about hats again? And it's perfect coming off of Black Hat and DEF CON. There is a lot of... What was that about Black Hats? A lot of security self-grandization maybe right now. Puffery? A lot of puffery. and Like a pig on... Yeah, maybe out. it's... Although it's in Vegas and it's so hot, I always think that the tar will melt, and like thousands of years from now, they'll find they'll find <laughs> like poor hom- sock hom- analyst. Hom- they'll find like like Homo sapiens hacker 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 or something like some with guy his backpack with like six <laughs> laptops and QR codes down in the pa- like the La Brea tar pits of, of a our Wi-Fi industry. pineapple antenna sticking out. Yeah, it's one like wow, this was a real specimen. Yeah, <laughs> a real specimen. Okay. So yes, back to Black Hat. Yes, yeah. Yes. Besides the tar pits of sock analysts. Puffery. In what sense? What were you thinking? Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to find the right words to describe it because there's a lot of really great research and a lot of really great things that happens at all security conferences in general. Most, yeah. At most. Although although 90% of the time, it's mostly people hanging out at summer camp. But yes. Yes. There's still some greatness. Don't tell any CFO that everyone's going there to drink beer. Uh, there's leads. You can tell them that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Mark- what we tell them all. Yeah. yeah. There's marketing, uh, marketing qualified leads, but there's no sales qualified leads. <laughs> gotcha. Right. Yeah. Uh, someone's going to take issue with that. So there's a lot of security puffery, I guess, is a word for it. But there's a lot of content creation, <laughs> which we create content. So I'm always careful on the... Yeah, but we're right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but we're the right ones. Everyone else is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. No, it, it, there's a lot of content creation that talks about security conceptually, and then everyone pats each other on the back about how great that content was or how right mm-hmm. they are about the industry. But the people that are creating it, I, I don't want to belittle them because everyone's welcome to the security industry, and it's not gatekeeping. But there's a disconnect from reality of what security ends up being as a practice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, so there's like the academic side of security, which I appreciate and think is interesting. But I view that as some guy that's coming up with the next encryption algorithm. Like that's yeah. true academics that I think have value. <clears throat> Sometimes. Sometimes. I'm a bit skeptical of that too, because very often that gets too academic and doesn't really have very many practical benefits. And it's very hard to tell short term. Right. Right. But I, actually, I think I know where you're going with this, Jacob. And so there's, there's, yeah. Yeah, academics that are doing good research. And then there's practical people in boardrooms making. Ish, yeah. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, we talked about that. Well, the point topic. is they're close. They're close enough to where the outcome gets tested, and right. they have to live or die by the results. Closer and closer. So it, there was this old term in the military of, of the sharp end, right? Where yeah, the people actually right. pay the price. Yeah, the guys with the spears. Right. So there's a there's, um, yeah. Go on. There's the middle. There's a middle ground of content creation that a lot of security people are patting each other on the back for saying something that's pseudo intellectual and pseudo academic mm -hmm. and has a total disconnect from the reality of how security gets implemented. And it's driving me crazy lately because <laughs> I go online and I like see yeah. something and I'm like, that's not, have you tried bringing that up to your CTO or yeah. your CFO or no, you just talked to other security people about it. And then everyone patted each other on the back and doing a good job. Middle tier security people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And everyone has a, you know, a, a curve of an arc in their career. And this is part of that for many people is putting themselves out there and trying to get followers mm -hmm. or whatever it is to make themselves important so they can get an actual job. Um, hypothetically. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's just driving me crazy lately because I think a lot of people are falling for it that are younger in their careers and not realizing that you have to open up and listen to the rest of everything else that's going on and weigh what works for your business and prioritize what works for you as an individual. So did you think that's where I was going with it? Oh, yeah, actually. No, no, I didn't when you started, but I kind of got there about halfway. Um, yeah. So there's how we're going to start. So so there's so much to unpack here. I think the first thing, the first thing that I would bring up is it's not about the intellectual exercise, right? So there has mm. to be, there has to be. So I just did a whole body of, of academic research on AI as it's applied to security, fraud, and privacy. And I think I said it to you this morning, actually. Just yes, I haven't it. looked at it, but I, I do have but it. In the conclusion, if you reach it, if you reach the end of it, it actually says we can't be getting too far ahead and responding to the academic or theoretical. We have to deal with what actually gets built. Mm, and right. this point, it, you can go look at the conclusion sites, like the first point. It's that you can get all spun up and excited about, oh, we could use AI this way. And what if the bad guys do that or bad gals do that? And in the end, what matters is what they actually do. Right. Because, because there's so much uncertainty in what could be done. And so the same thing happens with these thought experiments. And so I, so first of all, let, let's be clear. It takes a long time to get experience. It takes a long time to build the mental models. It takes a long time to find your voice. It is hard to be a writer. And for someone to put that to paper, I have respect for that. That doesn't mean I have to have respect for what comes out because it doesn't necessarily get tested. And right. so, uh, and I, so I want to say that when I critique something, always I'm critiquing the the idea, not the individual. Right. And I although think a lot of inevitably, confused there's a lot of winnowing that happened to get a quality written product in front of someone mm -hmm. for them to be able to assess the idea, so that the writing becomes transparent. You're not thinking, are they qualified to put this in front of me? Or something doesn't become self evident about their lack of qualification True. in the writing itself. So then you're faced with the idea, uh, right? And it's a, what do you, what do you do with that? You, the first, the first pass I'd say you put through it, is it, is it internally sound and consistent? Does it sound right to you? And ask yourself, am I actually an expert in this space or not? And then the second one you say is, does this sound like it's a real world scenario? And if so, how far is it in the future? Is it now? Is it, in a year? Is it in five years? Because if as soon as you get past about a year, you're getting into the theoretical land. And 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 that, while interesting, isn't quite relevant yet. You have to start thinking about what bets you make. And there's another thing that happens at these conferences, which is the other thing I was trying to think, like, which do I talk about first? Yeah. Is I've been at so many conferences over the years where someone 
tremulously puts their hand in the air and they say, I've got something. And they describe it and everybody cheers like this thing is going to change cyber or the world or human life. And then one person goes, I found where it breaks. Uh, the corner the, case. The anti, the, the inverse uh, of my oh, statement. Yeah. The inverse. And then everybody gets dejected. Like it's binary. Like, hey, we're secure. Oh, we're not secure. We're secure. We're not secure. Right. And it, the world is rarely that way. And this is, this is going to be true in the world of quantum cryptography. This is going to be true in the, in, in the case of, for instance, when a hashing algorithm breaks, not every application is dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, w- w- when, when you find weaknesses in random number generators or in crypto, it's not that everything suddenly stops. And, and it, what it means is you need to reevaluate and you need to look at things, but usually it's shades of gray and changes in shades of gray. It is. It is. Which actually, I, that's I important. Everything in life boils down to gray. And yeah. I say all the time, no one wants to accept it. Now, if you're, yes, it does. And I, and I think you're correct. But whenever you hear a net new idea, the mimetic space that Dan, Dan Meisler spoke, Daniel Meisler spoke about on one of our podcasts, where his brain is the meeting place of many, which we all are, memes that combine and recombine. When a net new one is born from that recombination or somebody gives you a new one, you get this, that's cool feeling. But there's a second one that comes when you have expertise or if you know someone who has expertise, which is, and it's right. Mm, right, right. Now, <clears throat> if you've ever read uh, Blink, Malcolm Gladwell or Thinking Fast and Slow. I've definitely read Blink. Yeah. Blink's the, the idea that an expert can know the answer to something that's correct with it before they even know it's correct. And there's it's also the this notion of emotional and logical. Yep. Right? And so look for those. They're not just mavens. They, they have the intuitive machines to understand that. And you'll know who they are in your life. Right? Like my father-in-law always calls me when his windows machine is broken. And I wish he wouldn't do it. But like, you know who they are. Right. And so look to them if that's not you and see if they've got that. Not just that's a net new cool idea, but it has the ring of truth. And that's how I think. I think of it as um, the bard's tongue or the ring of truth. Right. So it's, it's the it has a resonance to it. And then once it's settled down, is it still true? Because once the euphoria of that new thing has has subsided, puffery. Hey, look at the peacock's feathers. Poof. Right, um, there's a difference in 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 neo Darwinism between uh, natural selection and sexual selection, and I think the same is true in mimetics, which yeah. may be a bit too deep for a hot take for you, but hey, yeah, deep hot takes are good too. But I, I think it's that's a great summary of we should welcome new ideas. Just because you're not an expert, it doesn't mean you can't raise your hand and say, "Have you thought about or oh, what yeah. about this?" But when you do that, you should in my opinion, sit with the community and discuss it and say, does this work in this case for you? What happens if this, hey, I've never worked in this size business. Would this apply for this size business? I think that's something that sometimes is missing from from the conversation is how does this actually get applied? How does this work? How do you, how would you implement this? Yeah. Could you implement this? Jake, we've got two great ideas there that I see. One is we have to have a forum where ideas are welcome, especially the ones that aren't right to get to the ones that are. Oh, yeah. You'll get 99% wrong before you get to the right one. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, 99 point something. Yeah. And, and the other one is I'm reminded of how we build bridges with the business that cyber can't be just for us. And that means other people who aren't cyber people have to feel comfortable 
voicing ideas without being made to feel like idiots. Right. That has to happen. Like, it can't be like, oh, you don't know about the rules from such and such and this device. And, oh, somebody already tried that and bought whatever, you know, 90 whatever. Like, just shut up. Um, the other one that I had, and this is from a personal experience recently, and so I have to tiptoe into the subject because I, I don't. Taboo again, is coming. Yeah. I don't know. No, not t- taboo. I just have to have a business relationship with the things that mm. annoyed me, and I don't want them to. Are you to about to say what we do doesn't matter? Are you about to do that? Again, yeah. Mm. No, uh, but yes. Mm. So, uh, one of the challenges I've had recently, a lot of what I do is interact with sort of supply chain risk. Mm. Is the best way I can put it. I am the third party. Well, I represent the third party mm-hmm. in a lot of conversations. And in other cases, I might be looking at third party risk, but I often represent the third party. Oh, I and think one of these risky. trends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of these trends that I have is people look at me and say, You're a risky third party. No, um, yeah. I, I talk to a lot of people, and there's been this uptick recently in conversations where people are so scared about the vendors they bring in, the third party mm. risk, that they're becoming aggressive in their conversations. Um, I once, once had someone even tell me, I won't get on the phone with you. I won't even get on the phone because I don't think you can do security good. Um, I don't think you do grammar good. I don't don't do grammar good. (laughs) That's a fact. That's that's (laughs) That's not you. (laughs) For me, it is a fact. I have a plaque that says it. Uh, So I've run into this more and more and I'm a very flexible person and I work at a startup. And when you work at a startup, you, you do cost benefit on everything. Mm. Every security decision is a cost benefit. Every technology investment is a cost benefit. Every hire is a cost benefit analysis. Uh, you have to manage your dollars to the T. Mm. Mm. Um, and so if there's a security practice that we missed or we made a, a decision at one point not to implement something, we didn't do it because we said, ah, we want to leave our customers' data at risk. Mm. We make every reasonable approach to protect our customers' data. But sometimes at that means our resources are focused on that instead of protecting a landing page for a marketing yeah. event. Yeah, you're doing triage. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the web page goes down because the data was protected. Because the data was protected. And so recently I've been just struggling a little bit with some folks and having that conversation with them of, ah, you're right, that website didn't have this setting on it, for instance. Let's... Let's go and fix that. Thank you for pointing out, but let's collaborate on this. Or for instance, actually on a much bigger scale, we had a customer that just said, your product doesn't work the way we work with privacy because of a specific privacy law that we have to work with. There's data that would be transferred to you that we can't transfer to you. And instead of us saying- We don't like how you architect stuff is what that person just told you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, they had a very legitimate reason for it. And instead of us saying, let's not do business together, we sat down and we had a conversation. We said, lay out and articulate Mm. what your expectation is. And then we said, give us two days to get back to you. We went back and we looked at our architecture. We looked at how we can build things. We looked at what we can do. And we went back to them and said, all right, reasonably, it's going to take us this long to meet your requirements. You think the technology has other benefits if we met that requirement. Can we build this with you and enter into the right contractual terms to build this? And we would. So that was the two inverses of the conversations I've had when it comes to third-party risk lately is someone saying, how can we build this together and solve this problem? Versus someone saying, I don't even want to get on the phone with you. Um, anyway, so I, I'm wondering if what your thoughts are, Sam, on third-party risk and reasonable conversations to make us better as an industry. Come and teach me something is what I'm saying. Oh, if I'm, right? um, there's so much. That's uh, such a nuanced conversation. So it's entirely possible that you were just dealing with an asshole. 
It's also entirely that's what I'm trying to avoid saying because I have to do. Yeah, but I can say people. it right because I don't know who they are. It's like a <laughs> they, they hopefully they don't know who they are either. <laughs> no, they, this, they do, but no, they know that you haven't been called out, right? But um, the other thing is that they might have been looking for an, another reason to say no. That always happens. That can happen. Right. Although, this could have been a business decision of I don't want to interact with you, but I don't know how to right. say no. Although you don't directly, your company doesn't directly sell security. It sells other things of which security is important. So you're, so you're actually being asked about your Correct. security processes. So it's not usually the CISO who's coming to you and saying, I don't want you. Right. Whereas if you were selling a site, if your company sold cyber products, then then it right, might be that's the CISO correct. Reason, right? a, a CISO is typically not our champion, as we call it, in a sales process, right? They're typically just a yes-no gate for purchasing. Yeah, right. right. So, you know, it's funny. I, I'll tell you two anecdotes. So so I actually advise a, a relatively small startup. And when I say relatively small, they got like four developers, right? Mm-hmm. They're in their beta phase. They're finding their first customers. <clears throat> They're selling to, a cyber, to cyber companies. Yep. And they were... Their very first, they were so excited. The customer wants them. They want to sell. It's like honeymoon phase, you know? Yeah. And they got their security questionnaire and <laughs> they were terrified. 80 questions, 80 horrendously hard questions. And, and you could, I could feel in the email I got, like, we're just in tears over here, like, you know, ripping shirts off and stuff. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, it's not the end of the world. Let's create a shared doc, put the questions in. We'll get an hour. We'll go through it. I said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to write a letter at the front that is going to say where you are in your life cycle, how important this is to you, and that you want to work with your partners to prioritize the things that you don't do and can't do. So you want this to be a backdrop. And here are the values you have in security. Because the number one thing that a good security practitioner on the other side is going to want to know is that there's an adult on the other side who cares, is present, and is engaged, and is trying to become the the top of their game because my philosophy is secure you're as good as as the rate of improvement and your mm-hmm. attitude as opposed to your static security status like do you have this right. process and this process and this process and this process probably not especially at the beginning but how how are you, how well are you putting things on the board what are you saying you're going to do and then delivering and that's really hard especially in a day of limited resources with four developers right so that dialogue and the openness to it set that as a cultural value early. And and so we wrote, I actually wrote the letter for him. He read it. He goes, ooh, that's interesting. In an hour, we answered out of the 80 questions, I think it was, we answered 76. By the 76th question, I had to get off the line. One hour. We had like, do you do this? He's like, well, no. I said, so say no. Say no. But like, then put the this phrase that if this is important, we can prioritize it in this time frame or this one in another time frame. And this one, oh, yeah, we do that one. Okay. By the time he got through, he felt comfortable. He was telling the truth, right? Right. And he was comfortable. He put out there a philosophy that was take it or leave it because he knew these people and they, they wanted they wanted to buy. And if something mattered in their assessment, he could prioritize it. And he knew right. how to answer the last four questions. And now he's got a template to start, right? So that, I think that's an important anecdote. The second one is last actually last night, I had some friends over playing some games and one of them is the CTO for a very large online brand in me. We were talking, he said, security theater. And I'm like, what? He goes, Mm. he said, dude, I lie all the time on the surveys. I'm like, what? He goes, you have to. And I'm like, okay, say more. He goes, it's theater. I said, I agree. It's the third party risk surveys that every vendor sends out is what he's referencing. Yeah. So I said, I agree. It's theater. It's theater because the survey has 
one of two things. Either they're lying, in which case, yeah. how does it help you? Or, they've, or they're telling the truth, but really what it demonstrates is they've built up a capacity for bureaucratic behavior. It's not a measure of what I talked about in the previous anecdote. It's Most third-party risk programs are that. Right. I mean, what you're trying to say is, okay, so if you have a vulnerability management program and an SLA and an RTO, sorry about all the acronyms, service-level agreement, you can respond in a certain period of time, uh, you know, being able to return to objective and like get things right, back right, up right. and running. If you have those things, it proves that you've got certain processes and sophistication. Well, it means you understand acronyms, at least. And you certainly have a, have a lexicon and you can do a Google search, right? So, but what does it really tell you about the risk of doing business with that company? Actually, almost nothing. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's like zip. And so now, why do you do it? You do it because you're building up a body of documents to be able to match up with peers of a size and maturity. You do it for audits. You do it to avoid negligence. You, and you, and by the way, you're paying, you're paying, I'm going to be really rough. You're paying a security tax as a business. Not doing it is unthinkable. Oh, yeah. But not doing it's doing it doesn't meaningfully re reduce third party risk. And maybe that's where. People are getting confused on why people do third-party risk. They think they do it because they're building a technically awesome And that's self-delusional. And it's a little self-delusional. But what you're really doing is providing documentation to hand to the lawyers when something goes wrong of who holds the bag for liability. Yeah. It's sort of like your doctor building a large case on you so that when you eventually die, they can say, I did my best. Yeah. You know, I, 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 he died of diabetes. It was his fault or cancer. This or is a... A uniquely American discussion right now. Yeah, that. Yeah, so apologies. Um, it might not be uniquely. I mean, it seems uh, to be everywhere now. But um, well, that's a whole other topic that I'd get into. <laughs> the UK or the but UK. Look, we should spin it. We should we should turn it and say there are tools like this that can be used in different ways. So let's take yes. S bomb, right? Like so, secure. S bomb is actually pretty interesting. It's interesting not for itself, which is really an ingredient list among other things but what you could do with it. And so I'm worried that people are going to say, oh, you have an S-bomb. We're done. No, 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 no. Think of the I, chance to innovate on top of it. And what could we do with it? That's interesting. But static defenses, static security posture tells you nothing about ability to handle or avoid or mitigate risk. Agree. Agree. I, I hope what people take away from this is as you look at your vendors, and you think there may be a risk with that vendor, sit down with them and spend time going through that and asking them to mm. show their mitigating controls. Have them share their screens. Ask for audit rights in your contract. Like those are things you can do to that actually have impact. And then go and audit. Use those audit rights. Like, okay, show me your vulnerability management dashboard. That's something that's a reasonable. If yeah. you're like, I, I don't think they do vulnerability management well. Um, we're not going to do business with them. Maybe their policy just sucks. And that's what your view is their policy. <laughs> it's I think it's more interesting to have a discussion, have this as a starting point for discussion. So you sit down after the survey and you go, hey, thank you for the survey answers. Could we talk yes. about the last time you had a really big, like, what did you do with, you know, text for shell Like, how did you guys handle that as an organization? What was it like? Uh, you know, the, the recordings are off. I'm not writing down. What was it like? If that happened, you know, I'm not asking, could I get on the phone? Because you'll have a lot of people trying to do that. What could I expect? That's a more interesting conversation to have. Right. And the other thing I hope people take away from this conversation is that Jacob is actually doing his job, just FYI. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a bit of a rant at the beginning, but uh, it's loosely, loosely based. I kind of changed some things purposely for protection of myself and my employer. Uh, and none of these <laughs> statements or anything I've said represent my employer. Not me either, by the way. They're just, they're purely my incredibly opinionated perspective. So uh, feel free to disagree with me. But I sometimes sit there and I get these survey responses back and, and I look at them and I go, what do I really know about how they practice security? Right. Until you talk to them and break bread, like if all you're doing is looking at a survey once or twice a year, it's not really helping you, even with a with an automated compliance response. And if you're not even doing that. It boils down to trust too at the end of the day that you have to trust another organization. Because let's, let's say your third party yeah. has a SOC, right? And that SOC someone is sitting there, a human, making a decision to press, uh-oh, red button, bad things are happening, or false positive button. At some, You have to trust that person to do that job. So you can't use a form or a survey to say, yeah, that guy's going to do his job, right? Well, Jacob, that's what I meant by negligence. So like, you effectively have to check they're allowed to come in and we've reviewed their security. Now down the road, something goes wrong. Right. And so in the mm -hmm. postmortem, when nobody's forgiving and everyone goes, how could you have done this? Mm -hmm. You at least can bring back the survey and said, well, we did have a process. And if you, because what you had to do in the moment was boil it down to, do I trust you or not? Do I buy this or not? It's a judgment and human judgment is flawed. This is merely an artifact to give you a reason to say yes or no. And usually it's going to still come down to that human judgment and have nothing to do with the form. The form is a way to say you did something and weren't negligent in your du due diligence. Not and that it actually gave you the answer. <laughs> and the CISO will get fired anyways. So yeah, I'd find a new CISO. That's the yeah. end of this episode, maybe. Uh, don't bother doing third-party risk. You're going to get <laughs> no, fired No, do anyway. it. No, 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 do it. You don't want to get fired. No, you will anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't. That's not advice again. That's do third-party risk. You're We're going to get in trouble for this one, Jacob. We are. Yeah, maybe I'll cut that out. No, keep it. <laughs>